Will you say a prayer with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. The Psalms are funny. Not in a ha-ha sense, usually, though I'll admit that the thought of the crack in praising God does give me the giggles. But they're funny and odd in a deeper, mystical strangeness. The scripture I read this morning, Psalm 148, falls right in the middle of a whole series of poems of praise. Psalm 144, praise be to God my rock, our sheep will increase by thousands. Psalm 145, the Lord is good to all, God has compassion on all God has made. Psalm 146, God upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets prisoners free. Psalm 147, how good it is to sing praises to, to our God, how fitting. Psalm 149, let them praise God's name with dancing. Psalm 150, praise God with the trumpet sound. And here in Psalm 148, praise God, sun and moon, and praise God, you sea monsters. This is how the book of Psalms ends, with one after another repeated hymns of praise. Now, at face value, this might not be surprising. It's the Bible. Why wouldn't there be loud and repeated adulation? But here's the thing. For just about all of ancient Judean history, there wasn't much material cause for celebration. Even in periods of relative prosperity, like during King Solomon's reign, Israel was never a powerful nation. They were consistently and constantly at the mercy of empires that surrounded them, sandwiched between the Assyrians to the north and the Egyptians to the south, raided by a variety of more technologically and militarily advanced Mediterranean cultures. Indeed, what periods of safety and prosperity they did enjoy were frequently purchased through costly tributes paid to these oppressive neighbors. And those were the brief and short-lived high points. Elsewhere, the story is grim. Famine. Exile. Slavery. The destruction of their beautiful temple, raised to rubble on the ground. When you take into account these historical circumstances, the lamentation of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or the anger of Psalm 137, dreams of heads smashed against rocks seem to make more sense. But this glorious, joyful refrain, it begins to ring quite odd indeed. So what's going on? Some people suggest that these passages are a form of wish fulfillment, that like the Canaan conquest narratives that never actually happened, they were treasured scripture because they portrayed an alternate reality, one in which Israel was mighty and exalted instead of perennially oppressed. Forgive me. I don't buy it. I don't think the Psalms conclude with these repeated hymns of praise because this is some kind of ancient fantasy about the way the world might be. I think the likeliest answer is the simplest. The psalmist's overwhelming joy rings through because people were joyful, despite their pain. And this commingling of praise and sorrow reminds us of something important. Joy isn't avoiding grief. It's a way to process grief without letting it define who we are. <laughs>
I think that's actually one of the key differences between joy and anger. Too often we are angry as a way to prevent experiencing the pain of loss. I was talking recently with metal member Donald Grove, who was a big part of ACT UP in the 80s, and he was reflecting on how, in retrospect, he felt that he and so many of his fellow activists embraced that righteous anger in part because it allowed them to avoid the overwhelming anguish of watching a generation of beloved queer people die from AIDS while government sat and watched. But that's the thing about grief. If we avoid it, we don't escape it. Sooner or later, tears of morning dawn, the only way out is through. And the question is, how will we travel? Joy offers a way to look unblinkingly at our pain, acknowledge and hold it, while simultaneously rejecting to be imprisoned within its walls. Joy is resistance. It looks like kids gathered in a virtual classroom the day after our sanctuary burned, cackling, jumping on their beds, delighting in stories at our kids' multicultural book fair. It feels like the laughter in our Zoom rooms, mirth that in itself testifies love is flame retardant. And it sounds like our gospel choir, gathered around still smoking rubble, singing, God is here. If anyone had doubts that joy is resilience, they need look no further than this congregation. And in our songs, in our laughter, in our love, we give the world a gift, a reminder of what God is still doing. In the same way that God moved through the Israelites, planting songs of praise in their hearts even in exile, God is moving through us now. Our hymns of praise offer a grieving, weary nation a different way to mourn. Joy is not a diversion. It is the tune of our salvation. If you're not ready for joy yet, that's okay too. Know how much we love you. Feel this family holding you, weeping with you, and hoping that we will all get there in time. Whenever you're ready, joyful welcome will be waiting. However, too often, experiencing joy in moments like this can produce feelings of guilt, fear that we shouldn't allow ourselves to embrace gladness amid so much pain. And this psalm is a reminder. Damn it, God does not want you feeling guilty. If I don't sing in joy, my anger will overwhelm me. And when that finally burns out, I may never stop crying. So I'm going to sing. And the psalmist invites you to sing with us. Today is a reminder. This fragile, hopeful, yet unmistakably powerful joy is what we find in the manger. Don't let the glitzy trimmings trick you. The circumstances of the first Christmas were more like this Christmas than any we've had in a while. Look who showed up. Shepherds who come in fear and trembling, while a family huddled without shelter a tyrant's crosshairs on their son. It's joy to the world, not as an affirmation of what is already here, but joy to the world because we palpably, viscerally need it. 
so tempting to feel like our joy doesn't matter. That against the enormity of the crises we face, rejoicing is one more luxury we can't afford. But Christmas reminds us. The love we proclaim, and the fragile, tender, but disciplined hope with which we proclaim it, is the thing that matters most. Jesus' birth is a radical subversion of how we understand power. Christ does not come as a conquering army. God's incarnation isn't in a palace, but a stable. Surely the birth of a child to a teenage mother, only married because of Gabriel's shotgun wedding speech to Joseph, a family subsequently ex exiled into Egypt, surely this cannot be the source of our help. God, you must have made a mistake. Where are the chariots? Where are the soldiers who will topple Herod and cast out Rome? But God's answer comes like a whisper. The child is enough. Your joy is enough. Your hope is enough. Love is enough. Indeed, it's always been the only power this world cannot burn. When we return to the psalmist, we hear the fruits this resilient joy will bear. Nations and rulers will be forever changed. They will pass laws that will celebrate young and old, men and women and gender non-conforming folks alike in radiant glory. Grateful words will flow from every mouth because every they need to thrive. But the psalmist isn't content with just that. When we live fully into our joy, the moon and sun will praise God. Fire, hail, and snow will fall in line. Wild animals and cattle will rejoice, and so will the creeping things. Even Cthulhu will fall to its knees. This joy is both a proclamation and a promise. It refuses to give in to powers of sin and death, to cower before calamity, not by pretending that they aren't real, by refusing to let them purchase our souls. We so badly need that glorious future where captives are freed, where poor people are exalted, where sickness no longer haunts our streets and dreams. We thirst for beloved community where God's love is law. But anger by itself will not take us there. Grief by itself cannot bring our birthright closer. Joy, however. Joy is the force that affirms that though we aren't there yet, God has told us where we're going. So this Christmas, if you can, sing joyfully. And in Christ's name, do not feel guilty about it. Its stirring is an invitation. Will you proclaim love to a world that needs it? Be joy in the world, friends. And Merry Christmas.